0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy, And I'm Jenny. And today we are talking about 1992 Newberry honor book, Nothing But the Truth by Avi.
1: I have a citation here from the Newberry and Caldecott Awards, A Guide to the Medal and Honor Books, which was published by ALSC, the Association for Library Service to Children. So Nothing But the Truth, a documentary novel by Avi, Avi's documentary approach chronicles the results of a teacher's objection to a ninth grader's humming along with the Star-Spangled Banner. School rules stipulate that students are to stand at respectful, silent attention. Miscommunication, misperceptions, and personal viewpoints of right, wrong, and protected freedoms propel the characters rapidly into a crisis situation that forces the reader to explore issues of perception, reality, bias, and expediency. Oh, that makes it sound boring. (laughs) Well, I do think that there are parts that do drag, but I, I don't, okay. Here's my thing about this book. I think once you get into the book, I think it's definitely a, a, like a YA book. And I think it's definitely something that's very interesting, Mm -hmm. but I also feel like, because I never read this as a teen I've only read this as an adult multiple times. I feel like I get a lot from the story because I understand bureaucracy and I understand like how negligent the assistant principal was.
0: Yeah. And like the fact that
1: there are school politics, which I think a student wouldn't really grasp. Well, I think a student would grasp it, but not find it interesting. That's my take on it. Like, Mm. Who I mean what student cares like what kind of power struggle there is going like what kind of power struggle's going on in the district office about the budget <laughs> about the county budget, yeah. yeah, so like i get I get what avi was doing, and I think i this is one of those rare cases for me where don't like the main character, really any of them i feel I feel empathy for the teacher, mm-hmm. but I don't really like her and i don't like i find the book dry in places and i find it a little heavy-handed in places yeah but i also think that it's very well written and it's a very interesting and it, and for the time period when it was published very experimental
0: yeah, that's the thing for me is that like when I'm reading this it seems it does seem a little heavy-handed until you think about the fact that it was published in 1991, right? We were 11. And the whole description of events is is basically the meticulous breakdown of an event going viral, right? Before that was a thing. Like instead of getting emails and nasty comments online, they were getting telegrams delivered to the school. So at the time super, super novel, right? Like this was, I know that things have, you know, quote unquote gone viral forever, right? But this is just the most point by point, meticulous breakdown of an event like that so that you see all the different angles that I I remember seeing. And it's commonplace now, but at the time, even though stuff like that happened, nobody talked about it.
1: That's one thing that I find very interesting about the the age of technology and social media and rapid information sharing that we live in is that I don't know if there necessarily is full transparency, but there's a lot of appearance of transparency. Mm -hmm. So I think that this does a good job of showing, of being really transparent and not really having one, not picking a side necessarily But kind of giving a cutaway of like a scenario, a a school political scenario that really wasn't even started as a political situation. Yes. And giving the inner workings of all that bureaucracy and all that, all the hierarchy stuff and showing how Philip Malloy is – just kind of a jackass, but also like didn't really mean for this to happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it does. that's the thing is that like it does give everybody the benefit of the doubt because it's just giving uh, information more than it is giving a narrative. I, I really like if you go on Avi's website, there's actually a specific section where he talks about how he came up with the idea for this book. And it was like several different factors. So he apparently in college was very interested in something that was a play form in the depression called Living Newspapers where instead of a regular plot, they were trying to like teach the audience about something. So he got very interested in that and tried to write a few of those himself. And then he also loves board games, especially Clue. And he found another game that was related to that that gave all these different pieces of evidence that you had to put together And then he read a newspaper article about a a student who refused to sing the Star-Spangled Banner at school and uh, the local uproar. And he just like put all those things together. But apparently the original working title of the book was Discovery, which is the stage of like a lawsuit where they're just putting together all the evidence and presenting it. Which made total sense to me because I worked in law firms forever, right? And when I was reading this book, it came across like a deposition, right? Because it's they're just presenting these snippets of uh, yet yeah, letters and telegrams and things, but also just direct dialogue between characters. and it really, really read like a deposition. So I don't know. I, I felt like he was just presenting evidence, and you could make your own
1: conclusion. It felt like a little trial. It reads a little bit like a uh, um, like I remember when I was really into encyclopedia brown. Yes. Definitely. Like you would <laughs> you would get all these parts and then you'd be like, "Okay, I think it was this." And then like you would get a conclusion, but it was never mm-hmm. like an emotional conclusion or like a like this is how you should feel about it. It was this is what happened.
0: I did like that they so the We probably haven't talked about the plot enough yet. Oh, yeah, we (laughs) haven't. But so there's a student named Philip Malloy, and he particularly dislikes this one English teacher that he has. And he gets transferred to her homeroom. And during the morning announcements, when they're supposed to be quiet, he starts humming along to the national anthem.
1: Yes, but uh, there's a little backstory there. He um, has been going. He I guess he was on the track team the year before and he was going out for the track team again. And he was in her English class. Miss Narwin, he isn't doing well in her class, and so he can't start on the track team. And so he gets really upset about that and decides he's going to kind of ruin her day, like he wants to ruin her day. And that's why he starts humming.
0: He just wants to irritate her, and Mm -hmm. she tells him to stop, and he does. But he does this several days in a row, and eventually he, he won't stop because everybody else is supporting him. They're like, I can't believe you don't get to be patriotic. She can't stop you. You have a right,
1: you know. Well, that's like his parents are doing that. And then, but all the students know that he's a dipshit and know that, know that he was just trying to cause a problem. Like he, he love like he's, he's really enamored with this one, girl named Allison. And she's like, what's wrong with you? You were just trying to give her a hard time. What's, what's your problem? And some of the other kids are like, what's Philip? Like, get your shit together, basically. But he tells his parents this, and they take it as an affront to their patriotism. And that essentially that Philip could do no wrong and would never be doing something, you know, bad. Of course, he was just trying to be patriotic
0: one of their neighbors is running for the school board and they go over to sort of consult him about it. And it just so happens that he's being interviewed by a newspaper reporter and he's like, come on in, you come talk to her about this. And so then it gets put into the papers and then it gets picked up by the AP and then it gets picked up by national papers and talk show hosts and like really obnoxious radio hosts. And it turns into this massive debacle And it's interesting because you're getting the story not through your typical narrative, but through these little bits of what feel like evidence. So you're getting excerpts from the teacher in question's letters to her sister and inner school memos and Philip's journal and just like these little descriptions of just dialogue between him and the girl he likes or him and his parents. And you're kind of left to draw your own conclusions.
1: Well, and they also—it's not only because that's the thing that I find really interesting—that it was almost called "discover,"
0: discovery. Discovery.
1: Mm-hmm. It's because th- there are parts, like there are sections that are like labeled with a time, a timestamp, and it says discussion. So it's written out like a play, and it is like non-recorded discussion between characters. Yes. And that is something that could never be in discovery. And so we we know more than than someone who is investigating a case for legal proceedings. You know, all, yeah. yeah, for legal proceedings. We also see we also see parts of phone conversations between like the superintendent and the principal and the vice principal and yeah, in the letters between Miss Narwin and her uh, her sister, Anita Wigham. <laughs> I feel like there's a joke there I'm not getting. Like, I, don't, I, I need don't. a Wigham. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if there being actual Wighams, but maybe there's a ham wig, though. I mean, I don't know who would want to put a, some hair on a ham, but... Oh, I'm shoot. sure someone's out there that would be into this. What picture book am? Oh, what picture book am I thinking of?
0: There's this hilarious picture book where a guinea pig wants to make friends and he pretends to be a wig and a kid finds him at a bus stop and puts him on and he rides <laughs> around all day and like beca- becomes like the toast of the school.
1: I don't know, but that sounds like my new favorite book. It's amazing. Shoot, what is it? Oh, I love stuff, I love stuff where there's like cute plotting. Well, and then like, like this, and then there's a big reveal. It's amazing. It, oh. Why is a kid putting on a wig he finds on the bus? Have like, you that's have you met kids? Good. There's a guinea pig, Pride and Precious. Oh, god. Ooh, I have that. I have that. I have the guinea
0: pig Old Testament as well. Oh my god! Yeah, it's hilarious. No, it's no guinea pig Nativity. I've got the Lego Old Testament. Sorry,
1: that's amazing. I have weird books. <laughs> I mean, I do too. Anyway. Do you know about Fuzzberta? No. Fuzzberta was a guinea pig that, um, that that let her owners put all sorts of little hats and stuff on her. <laughs> She's really cute. She's since passed away, but Fuzzberta was amazing. Oh, I found it. What is it? I
0: found it. It's Be Wigged. It's by Cece Bell. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. So it's I forgot. It's a little bit the inverse. It's a giant bee and he wants to go to school and he scares everybody because he's a giant bee and everybody's scared of giant bees. And then so he finds this wig on the ground and he puts it on and then he can get on the bus and everybody thinks he's a kid and he makes <laughs> friends. And so he's happy because for once in his life, nobody's screaming and there's a bee in the bus. And it turns out like all this stuff happens and it turns out that the wig that he found was actually, it's a guinea pig or a hamster, I forget. But at the end, the the it reveals itself. And then they both have a friend.
1: I don't I don't think it's wise for a guinea pig to be friends with a giant bee. Well, I know, but they don't have any friends, so I know. But also, like, who's not noticing that the bee doesn't have any clothes on and is striped and is big enough to sit on a bus?
0: His name is Jerry <laughs> his name is Jerry B. This book is amazing. I can't believe that you don't know this book okay, because it's I'm gonna
1: have to I'm gonna have to grab it from the library. It's ridiculous and delightful.
0: And it's not it even a good amazing. wig. It's just like who it's just like a, a brown, like it looks like somebody drew a cloud, except it's brown. And then at the end, it has like a face and it's an animal who's like, I have seen Jerry B's actions and he is delightful. He is my friend. Like, and the thing is like, it's it's so good. It's so good.
1: I almost wish that Jerry would reject the hamster on his head because that to me would be the ultimate comedy. But I know that, that it's a kid's book. You can't, you got to end it with some some happiness. Well, plus it's Cece Bell, right? Everything that she writes turns out like Jeez. super happy. She has great stuff. I'm okay. I will definitely check that out. I'm excited yeah. about um, Boo Wigged. Oh my God. I'm okay. so happy that I figured that out. Okay. I am too. I, I don't um, even remember what I was talking about. We somehow started talking about guinea pigs. <laughs> we were talking about the plot. and Okay. So, okay. okay so, 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 school administration gets involved once it's gone to the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And the vice principal does this really, like, shitty thing that I think a lot of grownups do when they're in, like, admin positions where they play both sides because they don't want to be the bad guy.
0: Yeah, and they want to be on the correct side whenever, like, all
1: the stuff has fallen out. Yeah, he's, like, leaving leaving it open so he can, he can shuffle to the right side.
0: <laughs> yeah, so basically, like, everything goes viral. Everything hits the fan. There are a couple other players in this. You know, between the guy who's running for a school board deciding to politicize it for his own aggrandizement and in his campaign, basically, and both of Philip's parents who have their own motivations. But it's interesting to me because you can see. To use the politician guy, the one who's running for the school board as an example, you hear his same speech through like five iterations, and it's almost the same speech word for word, but you see the refinements that he makes on it, like draft to draft and what he's focusing on. So you really see what he's trying to use Philip for. Yeah. So that's interesting. And you you see Philip writing in his own journal, his own like stupid middle school boy thoughts. Like it... here's the hard part. The teacher is irritated with him and throughout this whole thing, like I totally agree with her. Like he's the most slappable character I think I may have ever read. Right. I just like, I don't like him, but the only reason that could happen is because he's so well written. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's uh, even the teacher who you're, really have to be on her side but you can totally see her flaws as well even though she is well meaning like you can see where she goes wrong and how it's not okay that she makes assumptions about him and and doesn't consider another viewpoint like one of the things she complains about to her sister in the letters that she writes to her sister are that students aren't the same anymore and nobody loves reading and this one boy is a real thorn in her side but on the other hand You know, Philip is complaining that her assignments are stupid and writing her like ridiculous answers on tests that are just like smart ass. But he on his own is obsessed with and continues reading The Outsiders, which is good literature, right? Yeah. And he's like, oh, one more page, one more paragraph. So like he is what she's looking for. She just has a fixed idea about what that looks like and is not considering alternatives.
1: Well, and I get it, right? Like, I mean, and I think she's a really realistic teacher character. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, I think that's – I always on the air on the side of, like, whoever's older and more experienced, like, they need to rein it in and, like, be the bigger person. But she thinks she
0: is, right? She thinks she's doing the right thing.
1: But she's really just, like, this stuffy old lady who – She talks about wanting to go to this workshop and wanting funding to go to this workshop to, like, learn about new techniques for teaching, but she doesn't really. I mean, she basically wants someone to just tell her, like give her new lesson plans. That's what it seems like.
0: It does. And it, it's irritating because she specifically says she wants to be more modern and, and learn new works. But they, they also talk about the fact that like statistically, the kids in her class do better in the future, but on standardized testing specifically. And that kind of Gave me a clue as to the kind of teacher that she is, because it's, it's mm-hmm. not saying that they have better like life outcomes, or they're more creative, or like happier or more engaged. They're just doing better on standardized tests, yeah. which, which is a very specific type of
1: teaching. And I understand, like I understand as much as I can, not being a high school teacher yeah. and being a teacher that has to teach to get kids to pass these standardized tests, which know? is hard. Which is so hard. Which is hard because, like, you want to inspire kids and you want to give them an education, but, like, make sure they leave your class understanding what they did, not just that they did it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's only so much time and energy that can go into a semester and they have to pass these standardized tests. So, yeah, I don't think that Miss Narwin is someone who's necessarily inspiring students a la like dead poet society robin williams
0: and all of the other students always say that she's a good teacher and a fair teacher nobody's like gushing about her like she's amazing and she inspires me but like she is a good solid you know basic teacher and you can tell from her letters that she's doing her best and it's exhausting
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I do think that at some point, I think in any job, so I don't, this is not as like a, meant as like a judgment on teachers, but I do think at some point, like, you know, you either have to adapt and or change positions or change stuff that you're doing to keep things fresh. And I think that goes for any profession or, you know, move on to something else for a little bit or for a while, and I, I know that having a career in something is a lot of, like I think a lot of educators, they're just like lifelong, career ed, they're lifelong educators. Yeah, it's a calling.
0: I mean, huh. it would have to be at this point. But yeah. I have had yeah. I feel like this year particularly, I, I've gotten a lot more insight. I know that my daughter is only in first grade, but because she's in virtual school, I have probably the only opportunity I'll ever have to, to actually hear what her classroom day is like. Mhm and her teacher is so ridiculously good. I I can't I cannot understand how anybody could be doing her job. She has half her kids in person and half the kids virtual and she takes no crap but is the most friendly, fun, engaging, energetic person. She's she's covering all the bases on both sides of the spectrum like the things that Ms Narwin does in this book, where like she's getting the essentials across, and she's like giving them a solid foundation and good standardized testing, but she's also like engaging them creatively and making them excited, which I think is what's missing in this book from this teacher and so like seeing that it can be done has been really inspiring to me because honestly, I don't have the personality to be a teacher. I could never in a million years do what she does and with the extra stresses of this year and the demands that are being made of teachers like fairly or not. And in my opinion, mostly not. They've stepped up and done just miracles. I can't even believe it.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. And I think that on the downside of that, I think that they've been asked to do things and asked to create miracles with in some cases, very little support and very little resources. And I think that that is, uh, I think that's incredible, but I think it's sad that that they've been asked to do that and they've had to do it, you know?
0: I agree. Like as a, as a, as a person, right, it's, it's deeply unfair and I can see that. And I'm, I'm just like embarrassingly grateful for, (laughs) as a parent to have, to have a teacher who actually did that because it's, it's gotta be insanely hard. Right, and I know plenty of teachers who are really angry about it, and I think that they should be. But I love it that the students are not suffering for it. You know, the teachers are taking it all on themselves,
1: and it's the most selfless thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, all that is to say that Narwin is a perfectly fine teacher, mm-hmm. and she's she's fine. But I think the the. One like her her reinforcing this kind of bullshit rule like will not bend on this rule, and if she did then he would just stop we know he would stop right he would stop humming because he'd be like, oh, it's not getting a rise out of her mm-hmm. um so the the complete lack of flexibility and like knowledge on her end to be to be smarter and handle the situation like an older adult like she is like you know an older adult like she has a responsibility I feel like to kind of just shut it down and the way you do that in this case is just ignore him or be like, yes, let's all sing, Philip, or <laughs> yeah. would you like to solo, you know? Lead um, the class, yeah. Yeah, so, like, complete lack of understanding of the dynamics of, of the classroom slash the student and kind of what she's putting into play. You know, I, I feel like after so many years in a classroom and being an older adult, like, you you should know that stuff, you know, as a matter of survival. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that, you know, I know that there are some cases where it just can't be helped and the student really is out of control and the student is really like, you know, just there's just nothing in the classroom. Like what they need is beyond the boundaries of the classroom for help or for discipline or something like that. But, you know, I think just the simple fact that like she can't see him as just a kid Like you were saying, like she's writing to her sister about that, you know, he's just this this irritant and like, you know, she's talking about him like he's causing this huge major problem. And like, honestly, he's not doing anything that big of a deal or that bad. But I feel like that's when her ego comes into play and she just wants to be abided, you know? Yeah. On the flip side of that... Mm-hmm. The submarine job that the assistant principal and the admin do on her makes me livid. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. She she takes the fall completely for something that got blown really, really out of proportion. And you, and you can watch it happening step by step. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think that her refusal to back down or to see any other perspective is one of the parallels in this book, I found that there were a lot of parallels between her situation and Philip's situation, right? So you've got these conversations that he has with the assistant principal who's in charge of discipline. And the assistant principal keeps bringing up all these points and he's trying to have a conversation, but Philip keeps repeating the same thing. Or he does this with his coach as well. And he's just like, I didn't I didn't know. Well, I didn't know about that rule. I didn't know. And he just repeats the same thing over and over again and refuses to let go of that, and engage on any other point, and so, like you can see how Philip and Miss Narwin have sort of parallel personalities in that they're blind to what they're not expecting to see, but they also really, really refuse to let go of the of the single point that they've grabbed onto. I think you're right, but there's lots of parallels in this book. let's see. I jotted down a couple of them, so there's these little alternating passages where. Like Ms. Narwin says to her sister that she's lucky to have the support of her school, even though you realize that the admin at her school is not actually supportive. And then shortly after that, like Philip says that he's lucky to have supportive parents, even though you know as the reader that his parents are giving him bad advice and have not, not the best relationship with each other or family dynamic overall. Like, they're both being manipulated for political purposes, either by the school administration or the person running for the school board. But there's another way in which there's a lot of parallels in this book, because Philip is obsessed, at least in the beginning half or two-thirds of the book, with the book out, The Outsiders, which... Honestly, I haven't read in a while, but I can see that there's a lot of parallels between what's happening to him and what happens in The Outsiders, which, if you've read The Outsiders at all, gives you some foreshadowing as to what's going to happen, not in terms of the specific plot points, but in the general like outcome of the situation. For instance, uh, Ponyboy, the main character in The Outsiders, his older brother, Derry, is really like oppressive to him. He he's really chafing against the restrictions and the attitude that Derry has. But it turns out that Derry is just really concerned about his future and is trying his best for him. And I feel like Philip is having that same struggle with Miss Narwin, where she's really she's not doing it the right way. And she's not seeing all of the details that she needs to, but she's really concerned with her students' future and trying to do her best for them. And neither one of them is seeing what's
1: happening. I completely agree with that. It's it's a lot of, I don't know if it's willful ignorance, but it's definitely just turning a blind eye. Yeah. And it's
0: unfortunate because it could it could save them both so much angst you know i feel like that they kind of are what they're looking for like she thinks that teaching literature to students is a calling and she wants to help them and he needs the help right (laughs) Mm -hmm. he wants a teacher who cares about him and she does care it's just that they both are rubbing each other the wrong way and nobody can see what needs to happen and the the really tragic thing is that with the whole outsiders book parallels is that they both have the same outcome, right? I mean, it obviously in the outsiders it's more dramatic and violent because there's there's you know someone dying, but they both both the main characters, Ponyboy and Philip, technically win, right? Like Ponyboy gets off without any repercussions legally and Philip you know, succeeds in coming off as the person who is who is right, morally, but emotionally they both suffer more than they would have if they had lost. You know, Ponyboy, Ponyboy loses his good friend, and as we see at the end of Nothing but the Truth, Philip gets transferred to this like prestigious school where they're like, "Oh yes, of course, come sing the the national anthem," and he just ends in tears. You know, like he's, he's so guilty was- and ashamed. But at the same time as a reader, because Philip is obnoxious, you feel so vindicated,
1: right? <laughs> just- well, I just always think that's so funny. Just the thought of him like crying and singing the star spangled banner. Nobody like doesn't it. sing it cuz he doesn't know the words. Yeah, well, no that. I mean, but like the whole like he doesn't know the words and he's just crying in this like prestigious boarding school after he's been because let's face it, like if this was set now, he would be like the darling of like the right-wing media circus. Oh yeah. And so it would be like, well, he didn't he doesn't need to know the words. He feels it in his heart. No, I feel like there would be a glorious TikTok
0: about him trying to sing it and not being able to sing it and crying, and it would be the most satisfying thing ever, ever. (laughs) It would be just like delicious. But you know, feel bad about it, but
1: not. No, I'll never feel bad about that. Like (laughs) it is a perfect ending, and it's because it's it's one of those things where nothing really bad happens to him. There's no violence. He's not maimed. Nothing, you know, he doesn't have a burning house fall on him like in The Outsiders. He just doesn't know the words because he never bothered to learn them. And then after all this kerfuff that he created, he's called on his bullshit, right? And it's just such a perfect comeuppance moment. It's beautiful. It really is. And especially since the
0: the comeuppance moment happens in the same way as the rest of the book. There's no narrative. There's no like, and so he got his just desserts. It just happens. And you're like, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you can like, again, it's not that I don't have any empathy with him because you can see exactly how it happens. Like his dad in the book is very, what's the word for that? Struggling middle-class. Like he feels like he lost out on his athletic career and he's struggling at work in getting blamed for things that aren't his fault. And so when his wife tells him to stand up to his boss, he knows that he can't because, you know, everybody knows their own work dynamic better than an outside person, but he feels powerless and angry. And so he's more willing to consider that Philip is being wronged and he tells Philip to stand up for himself, even though that's not the right choice there either, so, like, you can see how it happens. You believe the advice your parents give you. And even if it's terrible advice, you know, you act on it a lot of times. Sometimes kids have no sense. And when yeah. your parents tell you a thing at that age, you believe it, you know?
1: Yeah, for the most part, yeah.
0: And so he's just getting this terrible advice and and acting on it because I think that most people— can be really self-centered and growing up in the house that he's growing up in, that it just seems like a natural thing. They they treat him like he can do no wrong. Like he's he's telling the story of what happened initially at home at the dinner table and he calls his teacher a real bitch. And his dad starts to say something and his mother's like, tell, let him tell the story his own way. Like then there's no attempt at correcting <laughs> the attitude or the language. And it's just you can see how he's indulged.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. I mean, you know, some of that, I think part of it is negligence though. I don't think it's necessarily like that his parents think the sun shines out his ass. Like I think part of it is negligence. Like they just can't be bothered. And so they're like, of course he's fine. Of course he's okay. Like you're, you're fine. You're, you're doing great. You know, kind of thing because for whatever reason they're preoccupied and that just you know that happens they just
0: also are instilling these terrible attitudes like the the digs about her not being married
1: yeah i mean that was that was what i was i think getting at too like the whole submarining thing like it feels very personal it like it feels very tailored to be personal like a personal attack on her Mm -hmm. and it also feels very sexist very misogynistic and i mean i because of the type of book it is, I don't feel like Avi is being like, "Yes, this is the correct way to talk about teachers and oh, to no, think no. about them." And and this older woman, I feel like it is laid out to be like, "Well, this is at the very least, it doesn't make any sense. At the very worst, it's actually very, very like it's terrible."
0: No, I I think that the the way that he describes the there's like a right wing. Radio show host who's talking about the situation, and I think that the way that that host is talking about things really highlights that kind of attitude. And that I Avi is a master of voice, right? Like I hate this character, I really do. But I the only reason that that could happen is because Avi is capturing a certain voice that is very realistic, and he's capturing a search like a certain situation in a very realistic way, including the like ad hominem attacks that a person in this situation is likely to get. And I think he just does it super, super accurately.
1: Yeah. No, I, I mean, but that's one of the things that's really interesting about this book, the formatting and the way that it's cut up is that it's not, it, you almost feel like Avi assembled this stuff and there's no judgment. It's just showing you all the parts. Yeah. But and- it's, it's the good, the bad and the ugly. There's no like filter on here. Of, like, or lens of, like, this is how you should see it, and this is what it should look like, and this is how you should feel about it, which I really appreciate. I do too. And
0: it, it shows that even though I think there is a right side in this particular event, uh, there is no innocent party, right? They're all guilty of one thing or another. Yes. Like, it's very easy to see what flaws happen where. And I like that this book is about perspective and perception. Uh, so mm-hmm. you get to make your own mind up about who's the most at fault. But everybody's at fault to some degree. I don't know what cover of a book that you
1: have. Oh, God. I-, I was hoping we would talk <laughs> about the covers. Oh, God. They're horrible.
0: Okay. So I do not have a first printing of this one. So mine is just like a mass market paperback. But mine is the most ridiculous. Like, if you saw the cover of this book and saw that it was about a school... Uh, viral, like, event, you would think that is some sort of sexual abuse or, like, an affair between a teacher and a student because the, the boy on the cover is, like, popping his butt out and looking back over his shoulder in a very provocative way with just, like, a waving American flag in front of him. And it is not in any way what I would expect the cover of this book to look like.
1: I think I have the same one that you do. So we'll get to, we'll get to the other covers in just a minute. But... <laughs> This guy looks like he could be one of Corey Hames's brothers. And he is. He's like, he's positioned where his body is facing forward, but then he's looking, he's got one hand back on his hip and he's looking over his shoulders. If you heard weird noises, I was just trying to do his pose. I don't know why. (laughs) And he really is doing like a booty tooch, like a la top model, a la Tyra Banks. He's doing a booty tooch. In front of the American flag, I would think like looking at this, I would think it was more about maybe he was supposed to join a gang, but he was like, I'm too much of a patriot. Like, (laughs) like he does look like he's leading some kind of crusade. I
0: feel like it looks like it's a book about a kid who had an affair with like a social studies teacher.
1: I think that now that you said it, I can see that. But I also think that that's horrifying. Oh, agreed. Agreed. This is a no, horrifying I mean, not cover. Not that we're condoning that, but I think, you know, that's like a horrifying thing to think about. Like, and yeah, I, there are several covers for this, <laughs> for this book. I think, I think my favorite is where, is the one that just has, it's red, what it's like white with blue writing and has blue and red writing, like the American flag, and it's the Oh Say Can You See by the Dawn's Early Light. So the title is in blue, Avi is in blue, and then the, the lyrics for the Star Spangled Banner are in red. And so I think that might be my favorite one because I feel like it 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 has a lot more to do with the book than, than some of these others. I'm Googling. But there's one where, like, Nothing but the truth is is like a okay, it's like a blue background, and then it has these letters that intrude on it that have American flag as the pattern on the letters, and then the sullen kid with like a shitty bowl cut is like peering through oh, I see it, sorry, I'm googling,, I see <laughs> peering that one through the letters. And that, I mean, that's closer as far as when you get like a figure on a book. Yeah, that
0: makes good um, sense. But do you see the one with like, uh,
1: hang on, it—the uh, one where it has Miss Narwin's. Okay, so this one has, this one has Philip Malloy, and he's like doing has his hand over his heart, and he's wearing a green shirt, and starting with his neckline. There are stripes of the flag that are in line with his Yes, yes. But then right where his, like, abdomen is. There's, like, a face in his stomach. It's Miss (laughs) Norwood. But it's creepy. She's peeping out. She's peeping out of his body. I can't remember. I cannot remember any other books having this many different covers. Oh, no, there's
0: loads. Like, there's actually one that I really like uh, that looks like a file folder. And it, I one. Yeah, that one looks really uh, good, but it's just the one that I have is so ridiculous and it's making me very happy to be out of the early nineties with the trend of like, you know, when you would wear like big sneakers and your, your jeans would kind of scrunch up above it. And then you had to tuck your t-shirt into your jeans, but the shirt was oversized. So it just
1: got all weird and bunchy. I still do that, Mercy. <laughs> That's still my style. <laughs> That's my style. Thanks for shitting on my style. You're welcome. I'm no. <laughs> living
0: I'm living my best not COVID really. life. If it's not Jamie's, I'm not wearing it. No, no, no. You know
1: that you've seen me. You, I don't, that's not what I wear. I'm just joking. I see the, I know the truth. I know the truth. Yeah, you, you know the truth. Nothing but
0: the Nothing truth. Nothing but the truth. So it's hard for me to really give a judgment on this book because I think it is extremely well written. It covers important issues. Uh, It's a very readable. It's a quick, quick read. Did I enjoy it per se? I don't, I, I don't like the characters and what happens is uncomfortable for everyone. So I don't, I don't know that I would read it just for fun. If I were teaching it, that would be a totally different thing because there are so many things you could write a paper on at the middle school level or high school level in this book. The characters are really well fleshed out. But no, I don't, I don't personally, for enjoyment, like the book.
1: What do you think? I think I'm with you on this one. I, <clears throat> there's a lot to admire about it, just the way that it's written and the way that it's constructed. And I think it brings something really new to the table. But I also have a hard time thinking of a student or like a, a kid picking it up and reading it and enjoying it. You know, maybe that's the case, and I do think it's a book that's really lends itself to teaching, mm-hmm. but there's something about, like, I, I just don't – I think if I had picked this up when it was published, when I was a teen or tween, I would have been, like, I don't – I mean, like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of savviness, I think, or, like, jadedness you need to, like, understand what's happening slash – switch back and forth in the formatting mm-hmm. but I do think that it is something it still has something valuable to say even now oh certainly and there are many books that were published just last year that have nothing interesting to say about now so <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty big feat in itself yeah totally agree so Mercy do you have any read-alikes or read kind of alike? <laughs> Well, it, so
0: one of the things we were talking about is how unique this book is in terms of both content and like a method of presenting the information. So for me, I don't really have uh, many read-alikes for this. And the best thing I could come up with was Charlotte Doyle, also by Avi, completely different voice and, in my opinion, much more enjoyable. But that also covers... Like multiple sides of of an issue, where somebody's in trouble, and you can see where different people have different perspectives and different reasons for the behavior. But it, it's still such a different book, and a lot of times I say, okay, if you like a book by this author, you're going to like this other book by this author. But in this case, because it's Avi and he excels at research and like really meticulously creating a voice in his main character, they're not similar in that way. So like if you like the style of this book, I don't know that you will like the style of Charlotte Doyle. But if you just like the idea of like opposing perspectives and different ways of seeing the same situation, then yes, definitely. And I, I like that book in general just because it's good. Like I've been reading it since I was you know, 12 or 13 and probably, (laughs) I probably have read it 15 or 20 times. So it's really one of those books that you just have to keep on your bookshelf to revisit, you know, from time to
1: time. So I have a couple of read, read, kind of read-alikes. This is a hard one to, it's a really hard one to pinpoint. And so uh, I kind of took aspects of it that I thought really stood out. So the schooling aspect and conflict at school, for that I chose The Chocolate War by Robert Cormier. Hmm. Or is it Cormier? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Hold on a second. I I have the very common problem of
0: mispronouncing common words that I know very well because I, I have only read them and never said them. Do you know it took me until this year, this year, to realize that rapport and rapport were the same word? Oh. Yeah. Embarrassing. Hmm.
1: No. It's not embarrassing. Life is a life is a long unfolding of learning and growing. <laughs> <laughs> How many
0: times though have I written like R E P O R and thought it was a real word? Oh my God. Hmm. I was an English oh.
1: major. But I don't I don't think I've ever written the word report. I don't know why. Now that I'm thinking about it, I never I don't know. Mm. But you know now, so it's cool. I guess. I think it's Cormier. And it's about this I believe freshman Jerry Renault who's going to this school and they're supposed to sell chocolate as a fundraiser, but he refuses to sell the chocolate. And it causes a whole world of problems with other students, with the administration. And it just has that feeling of, like, having the grown-ups involved or the grown-ups part of the story involved with the kids part of the story. And that part reminds me – nothing but the truth reminds me of that. It also is just kind of – I feel like nothing but the truth is gritty in a way. Not like a real gritty, but like a – Oh, gritty. Not gritty, like – just, like, really realistic. So not gritty, like – You know, tough, but gritty, like it's just super realistic, warts and all type of thing.
0: I'm sorry. You said gritty too many times and now I'm picturing my copy book cover with gritty. Oh God, please let that (laughs) happen somehow. Dear
1: Photoshop. Dear everybody in the world, gritty, the... Pretty please. The giant Muppet mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers. Please do it. Is one of my favorite things in all of the world. I also imagine that he has siblings, and one of them is named Gritchard. And this is, like, this is a window into what goes on in my head. (laughs) So so I had one other read, kind of alike, and that's Monster by Walter Dean Myers. And it's because of the perspective parts of it. Mm, Yeah. So um, you have... Um, a 16-year-old boy, Steve, who's on trial for murder, for a drugstore owner who was shot and killed, and supposedly Steve served as the lookout. And so you you get a lot of different perspectives from, like the lawyers, and from from Steve, and then you also get these things that are like almost cinematic or like like a play with like stage direction of him on trial and, like, setting the scene and dialogue and stuff. And it's kind of like the way Nothing But The Truth is with the mixed media of perspectives. Mm -hmm. So you have different types of perspectives from different people, but you also have different ways of delivering it. So I thought about that for this as a read kind of alike. So. No, that
0: that makes good sense. I mean, honestly, if I'm if I'm being truthful, I think the most read like thing is not a book, but just literal, like legal cases, which I think means that Avi accomplished what he wanted to do with the writing style. I worked in law offices since I was, you know, 16 doing clerical work and in some cases my job was really just to read through piles and piles of evidence looking for specific things and the combination of the actual like photo evidence and articles and things like that with depositions which is just straight dialogue which is surprisingly interesting to read so like that is the most similar thing I've ever come across so to me (laughs) it's a very successful book for what it wanted to do cool yeah I don't that's the best. <laughs> I'm not saying go like we- read legal files. I'm just saying that that's. If you're into it, do it. <laughs> awesome.
1: You do you. <laughs> but,
0: but yeah. So that's where I'm at on that one.
1: Thanks so much for listening to our episode on Nothing But the Truth by Avi, the last honor book from the 1992 Newbery Award season. Next episode, we'll be talking about Shiloh by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, and that will be the last episode in our sixth season. Please find us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Please also rate and review us on whatever platform that you listen to us on. It helps other people find the find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is NewberryTart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot